I got dead prezzies to represent me. Say what? Say what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording. Uh, Clappity clap. Clappity clap. Don't clap. Clappity clap. Don't at me. <laughs> that wasn't in this film, was it? Don't clap back. Yakety no. yak. Don't talk back. No, that's twins. Yeah. And Andre. I and think, Andre. You know, the, the steel. steel movie? Yeah. That's a good movie. Is it? Yeah, man. I have a fun memory of going to the drive-in theater. You remember those? You remember when you could just drive in places? I don't know if that was ever a thing in your life because you were kind of... No, never. Yeah, yeah, I London. wish it was. I don't really have that shit. But yeah, I I went to see Andre followed by Jurassic Park, 1993, you know? Well, Jurassic Park makes anything better. Yeah. What what a (laughs) double feature, you know? Because like you're watching Andre. Animals are just out of control. Yeah, animals are out of control. Out of control. You're watching Andre and you're just like, oh, this seal's really cute. And then the next thing you know, like, they could have just fed like, you know, that seal to like, you know, the dinosaur in the next film, you know? So it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, perfectly oh, flowed into perfectly flows. Is that the girl from Napoleon dynamite? It is like, was her name like Tina Majorino or something like that? Oh man. Small world. <laughs> small world. Yeah. Small yeah. world. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I knew an actress from another film. Andre? Small world. <laughs> It's like, oh shit, Andre, you're an Andre and you're a Napoleon Dynamite. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Small world. Small world. Eat animals, man. Small world. Out of control. You know what's out of control? People who go to war. Good morning, Charles Cinecast. That was like a blur of the old school and then with like this new thing I've been doing. Yeah, 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 nice. This is your host, Sean the Foster, and I am here today with my, hmm, he's my, hmm, little Ben Franklin boy, my, my dead, well, he wasn't a president. Why is he on a fucking bill? He was never a president. Because he invented the light bulb. Is that right? That's not right. Yeah, that was Thomas Edison. Um, he apparently, like, invented electricity, you know, he, like, that's discovered that's electricity, not invented, yeah. Yeah. like, that's completely stupid, he didn't invent electricity, but discovered electricity, yeah, yeah. Um, with a key, apparently, and a kite, and electrocuted himself during a thunderstorm, what a dumbass, but hey, we're doing this podcast Daniel. because of him, so come on, yeah. Ben Franklin, you know, child Daniel, killer, Daniel, I have a, you know, yeah, child killer, didn't he have, like, a dungeon full of bodies, yeah, yeah, about? A bit of, of dead bodies down in his basement, you know, in his house in London. You need to talk about that just because I refuse to Google it. Well, I'm I mean, waiting for you to like explain it fault. to me one day. It was day. kind of your fault, like, because I was trying I, to explain I it. I wasn't paying attention. And you weren't paying attention. And then you you derailed me. And I was just like, all right, well, that episode's over. So, yeah, well, that, that's my job on this show. It wasn't even yeah. this show. It, was another it wasn't show. even this show. That was Red Crumb. But now, it, now I need to know. Yeah. To be honest, I kind of forgot what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a guy who a guy who was in the house living with him who like was a medical student or something and he had all these bodies that he was doing ex- like tests on and you know studying okay. anatomy and stuff these little dead children's bodies <laughs> I think that's what it was <laughs> okay okay <laughs> All right, all right. Don't know what to make of that. Okay. How are you doing, Phil? My dead Prezi boy. Dead Prezi. Um, dead Prezi boy. It's this episode 
now in bad taste. Yeah, I kind of thought of that because it's like, a, you know, the name of the episode, it's like, oh, it's gonna, a, there's a dead head of state. Oh, but it's not called Dead Queen. So fuck off. Dead Queen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, the world has changed yeah. in the short time between episodes. And right. I think we should say, I think we should say that, um, no, we're not changing the name. And just to put an end to that joke, please. And, um, we're, we're still open. Yeah. Yeah. And always, as usual, until, you know, everywhere closes and then we'll close as well. So yeah, stop asking us questions. Stop asking about it. We're not changing the name <laughs> to King Charles soon. So not stupid. catchy. The KCC? The KCC? Uh, too close to KKK. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't care. <laughs> hey, let's get some user feedback. Hey, hey, hey. User feedback. Listen to Nice. Phil, it's been a while, and we got a, a couple little nuggets of user feedback in the last week or so any hate mail no no hate mail which is uh God surprising damn. what do i have to do on this show yeah i'm I, I don't know i guess we have to be a little bit more relevant like to get hate mail nah <laughs> you know okay, it's when like hooker poker 2 comes out yeah i'll shit on that and claire and will then... be like yeah she'll <sighs> definitely be hating on you but speaking of which claire was yeah. one but now my like <laughs> i guess because we're like deciding to record my uh twitter feed has decided to just be like, oh, I'm not going to work. Um, Claire said 18 months late, but finally listening to the PCC podcast Ghostbusters episode and loving the discussion of the 2016 reboot. My love for that film has only grown in years, but the criticisms the guys raise aren't wrong. It's far from flawless, except Kate McKinnon. Mm. She's perfect. That's fair. That was, it was nice to hear that someone's like listened to something from so long ago. Problem with that is, I had no idea what my opinion of that film was <laughs> or anything that was said in that episode. I um, think, it, yeah, I think it was more that we were like uh, criticizing criticism of that film, that yeah. like that film became impossible to talk about and that fans are the worst. Yeah. And I think it was that. I think it was defending it to a certain extent. Was that like a standalone no. episode or was that like in the Ghostbusters episode? I don't even remember. No, that was... Um, Oh, no, we did do Ghostbusters, but I forget what the context of why we did it. Yeah. Um, was that like... Anniversary? Reboot Moon? Oh, it wasn't Reboot Moon. It must have yeah. been Reboot Moon. Because we did Coming <laughs> to, to America. America, yeah. I just don't remember doing an episode specifically for the Lady Ghostbusters, but I remember... Like, no, we did the OG Ghostbusters, yeah, so it was and that's good. when we talked about the reboot. Oh, that's what I was asking, if we did that in the OG episode. I couldn't remember. Oh, we did, yeah, yeah. sorry. Because we also did the Afterlife yeah, episode. Yeah, New Afterlife was coming, and that was like, you know, spurring out of reboot moon. But anyway, well, thanks for listening to that episode so long after it came out, Claire. Uh, George Summers, he uh, said, hearing Phil talk about Cornwall makes me homesick, in reference to last week's episode. Um, so yeah. Mm. Phil, you're doing the Lord's work, making Cornish people feel homesick, you know? Ragging yeah, on their hometowns. They're being seen, they're being heard. <laughs> it's just hard to get around. It's just hard it's to get hard around. To get That's around. all I said. <laughs> yeah. Just driving people away from London. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And our boy Will Dunn, Will, Will. said it's worth becoming a Patreon backer for this episode along. This is uh, the last week's episode for Apocalypse Now. Um, a redux. Yeah, a uh, the redux episode that's over on Patreon. He said, a deep dive into the heart of darkness. Great stuff from John and Phil. So yeah, thanks, Will. Um, that's nice. I've been seeing a lot of Will lately. And he's have always, you? Always nice to see it's him. always happens to be. Yeah. checking in on me. That's yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, Will, Good we stuff. still do owe you an episode for the film that you chose. I still don't know what it is. I told you, didn't I? <laughs> No. Oh, okay. Um, well, we'll get you that episode. Soon-ish. Oh, I forgot. Soonish. <laughs> it's getting closer to Halloween. Soon-ish. I think that's a good spooky ookie film. Spooky ookie times. Um, so we'll. It's see. almost time for your spooky. It's almost time for your. Spooky-ookie. Almost time for that theme song. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, and it, yeah, think. it is coming back because we are going to put a hold on this uh, war season after we're done with our tour. Nam. We're taking leave. This um, is our first tour. Yeah. No, uh, we're going to take a break. Yeah. Although we've had several breaks. True. Uh, And finally, um, we did have a new slash old patron backer, Uh, Manish Argawal, came back to Patreon. He had left us, and he came back, and he came back full force by becoming a good bagel boss, and we also owe Manish a request episode. Whatever Manish wants, but Manish hasn't said what they want yet, so... Whatever Manish wants, Manish gets. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, whatever you want, Manish. Thanks for supporting us there on Patreon. If you'd like to be a backer on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. We're doing good stuff over there, man. Phil and I have been coming out with all these new film reviews and weird fashion tips and stuff. And then also <laughs> we're giving you classic bonus episodes as well. Like for instance, last week's episode on the main timeline was Apocalypse Now. Well, it was a very good episode. To be honest, probably my favorite episode we've done in a while. I feel like mm. I don't feel very good mentally today, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to squirt out such a good episode, but last week I feel like I was firing on all, all cylinders, and it was like Squirt. it felt like a really good episode. <laughs> and um, then on Patreon, we, we have a longer version of it. It's called the Redux version um, of the Apocalypse Now episode, and that includes Hearts of Darkness, the uh, I don't want to call it a review. I don't like to think that we're reviewers, but I guess technically we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Conversation, retrospective, retrospective. Yeah, uh, yeah. talking shite because uh, I don't yeah. feel like I have any room to actually tell anyone to see something or not. I mean, you shouldn't listen to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do, but definitely don't listen to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, but that's over there at patreon.com forward slash podcast for five dollar not backwards. Uh, Phil, like we said last week, I don't know if people, you know, bought tickets or not, but if you have already, that's cool. But, you know, don't miss us live at the Prince Charles Cinema because we're going to be presenting two spookies and one spoof. That's a triple feature of Scream. I know what you did last summer and Scary Movie. It's on Friday, the 28th of October. We'll be taking the stage to intro each film in the mini marathon doing God only knows what, because we haven't figured it out yet. And it all kicks off yeah. at 6.15 once again on Friday, 28th of October. Tickets are on sale at PrinceCharlesCinema.com. I'm, I'm excited about Join that. us. I'm excited. It should I'm be excited fun. Too. I mean, yeah, I'm terrified. I'm excited. Be nice just to see people there who bought a ticket because they want to see us do something. I mean, we're not going to do anything special, probably. Anything probably I might do a dance. Yeah, okay. In honor of like Blackbird playing as well. It'll probably okay. still be playing by that point. You know, do a little jig. A little Irish jig. I don't know. Dancing. A little, <laughs> yeah, a little Irish. 
<laughs> I'm sure we can get whoever's in the on. box to put on some like you know Irish dance music or whatever. I don't know. We're gonna have walkouts, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, You're like, what is this? What did I sign up for? Oh God. Well, there's a war in my mind now, Phil. I think like, oh, just just being on the front so much like lately, not having the breaks like we've, uh, <laughs> yeah, just not having those the, breaks every other in week. The shit. Yeah, we're just yeah. To- properly in the shit. Um, you Living know, in the bushes. It's just, it's just we. I don't know. There's nothing else to do but just to get in it. You know, yeah, uh, just get dirty. Phil, war. What is it good for? Sing it again. I want, uh, want it to be in like less like uh, like audible every time I do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies. Listen to me. It's our next edition of our war arc. War, what is it good for? Hollywood movies, where each week we're looking at some of the best war and war adjacent movies around by going in order of, of which the wars are set. Crompod. Last week we moved into one of the most complicated wars in the history of mankind with the Vietnam War. As we talked about Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. Now! When? Now. <laughs> Seeing as the Vietnam War is so complicated and it has so many stories to tell and is responsible for some of the best war films that could easily be a season in its own i mean like just vietnam war films because <laughs> there's so Definitely. many of them. yeah yeah uh we're gonna be sticking around for a little bit longer than we have in our previous wars covered in this arc and our next film covers a part of the war that was underreported and fittingly it comes in the shape of probably one of the more underrated vietnam war films War films and crime films? Phil, <laughs> what are we talking about today? Dead Prenting. <laughs> Dead Prenting then. Hey, kid. You want to take a little run with me? Yeah, I'll take a little run with you. Man, oh, man. You're almost as good a getaway driver as me. I'm about to get my pimp thing on started. Why are you always talking about this pimp stuff, man? What's happening? Women so pretty. Even man, I ain't afraid of no war. I just want to do something that's different. Yeah, well, getting your head blown off is different. <laughs> so then you gonna marry me when you get back? You ain't got somebody else. I don't want nobody else. To the Bronx. Now you're going to play this Marine War hero. What you got when you get back here, huh? Uh, 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 uh. What's going on, man? Girl, come here. It's Daddy. Say hi. I'm going to get myself a good job. Don't you know if I had anything to offer you, I'd have given it to you the moment you walked through that door? We don't need his money. You can't even put food on your table. 
me and Kirby got something in the works. Old bills, man. Sometimes a couple million. All that money. Six fifteen a.m. The truck pulls out of the post office. Now it makes one stop before it goes to D.C. That first federal loan is savings. You pull it off, and you'll have money hand over fist. I think we need another man on the street. We might well put Ned in the paper. Then we gonna get everybody. I'm qualified to handle a forty-five, an M16, and AK-47. Lorenz Tate, Keith David, Chris Tucker, Nabouche Wright. From the directors of Menace to Society, Dead Presidents, a Hughes Brothers film. Well, that's Uncle Sam for you, baby. Money to buy. African-American soldier Anthony Curtis, not to be confused with Tony Curtis. You, you look like a Tony, yeah, Tony different Curtis? color. A different color. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's played by Lorenz Tate, returns to his Bronx home after a nightmarish tour of duty in Vietnam. But the nightmare continues for Anthony and his friends as they suffer the indignities of trying to find steady work and provide for their families in a flagging economy. As desperation takes hold, Anthony teams up with Skip, played by Chris Tucker, a drug addict and fellow veteran, Kirby, played by Keith David, his mentor, small-time crook, Jose, played by Freddy Rodriguez, another veteran who learned demolitions in the war, and the revolutionary Delilah, played by Nabushi Wright, to pull off a bank heist that will give them a chance for a better life. It's the 1995 Vietnam War drama slash heist film. What the fuck? Directed by <laughs> the Hughes brothers. Phil, hot takes out the gate. You've never seen this. Dead president. I've never seen this. It's always cool to see something new. Yeah. And I feel like you've been mentioning this a while. I think we tried to do it at another point. But like I, I, I knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew that poster. I knew those shots. I knew that face. You know, with the Lorenz Tate with the white face mark, I'd seen yeah. that, um, and it's been sort of referenced endlessly. A lot of like on a lot of you know rap albums and stuff. So yeah. wrestling, dude. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was cool to finally um, sit down and watch it. It was a bit of a, um, I think it was a good, really good one to talk about. Because, like, again, we've been doing these this like war adjacent thing. Like, life, life is beautiful, and this is, and also nicely follows us talking about well, fucking years ago now, but the five blood mm-hmm. and sort of continuing that conversation. Yeah. Um, but sort of the representation and treatment or mistreatment like soldiers in and after the Vietnam War, the conversation. Not a lot of these movies have at all 
Um, and so I really appreciated like getting to watch it and now being able to talk about it. And the movie, I thought it was really good, really like I don't want to say fun, but like engaging and entertaining and a bit of a mixed bag in places. I feel like it was like maybe a bit on the nose sometime. Maybe the war stuff isn't particularly groundbreaking, but all the stuff around it, I really enjoyed. Like yeah. so again, very war adjacent movie. Like him coming back and dealing with that and like how it affects each character, I really enjoyed. Um, especially Skip, fucking this, this cast is stacked, but like Chris yeah. Tucker in a role I've never seen him <laughs> yeah. really like this before. And I really appreciated that. And maybe it feels mixed because it's like, it's, it's juggling a lot of genres. It's this period drama, it's a war movie, and then it turned into a heist movie. But the heist is like literally right at the end. It felt like, I think that was the only thing, it felt it's quite a slow burner and then it like really rushed through that part and I felt like that was quite big it's very quick them getting together and doing that um and then wrapping up the end and it had a very tragic end obviously for m- most of the characters but I dug it I thought it shot well it designed amazingly like real like it's rare to do a film like set in the 70s that feels like it actually like lived in and like in the 70s or the 60s well in this one great music great gig great cast i really liked how it's directed by the huge brothers who like did menace to society and a bunch yeah. of other stuff but there's some really cool fucking shot they really go for it here there's like lots of like at least during the war there's lots of references to last week's yeah. movie and i and i won't give away the i won't give away the biggest one because that was such a nice surprise yeah. but like they do a lot of great one in the movie that i really liked and they also did that spikely thing where they like when he comes home and he goes back to um Kirby bar and he's sort of like he's clearly like on like a like a moving platform like and he's just sort of floating through the scene he's not walking yeah. and people just walking yeah, around yeah. him or like the fight with Juanita that's all one shot um, there's loads of like the cinematography in particular is quite quite out there quite I think it lifts it up from being like a traditional or at least what appears to be you know a pretty typical war movie slash crime movie I think it's really great. I think it's definitely underrated. Like I've never heard, I don't really hear people talk about it. And it's definitely good enough to be part of the conversation. I think it's a really interesting film and really fucking well done and really cool, really well acted. There's a few, It like I think it maybe stepped into like Hollywood territory a bit too much, but the story is undeniable. It's fucking really incredible. It made me really interested in finding more of those stories. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like one of those films where it's like, um, I don't know, like it's, it's weird. Like I think going into this, I think I was thinking in terms of an overall package, this film kind of is like one of the weaker films in terms of like, maybe at times it feels like it feels like it doesn't like maybe nail what it's going for and stuff, Mm. but like, it's kind of undeniable. Like, its impact on on culture like you know hip-hop culture where it's still like one of these like weird it's weird how it's just so underrated in that way that like not many people know it or talk about it um Mm. and it's it's funny that it had such a like an impact on the hip-hop culture and and young black Mm. men in the early 90s mid 90s and stuff um to a point even today like you know you were saying you still see it and things and like i i don't know if you like remember like 
you know, LAX, Santana Ortiz, LAX, you know, yeah. they would do it in impact. And then they started doing it on AEW, even like when they would have these big war matches, they would like, you know, come out with that white face paint with the black eyes. And that was like something I always remember from this film as being really cool. And then I would see it in other places and stuff and always thought it was really cool. Um, mm. The name itself is like a, a great name as well. And I mean, yeah. I guess it would have been like post Nas, like, you know, like you had that song, The World Is Yours, where the hook is like, I'm out for dead presidents to represent me. Say what? Yeah. And that's also, uh, medic, also yeah. been sampled in the song actually called Dead Presidents by Jay-Z. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like a, a line that like was used a lot back then and, you know, about the money and stuff. And I don't know, maybe that sort of like, you know, played into the culture a little bit. But yeah, I guess it's like, you know, because it is a story that talks about like, uh, you know, black veterans and stuff and like them coming home for more and just seeing that sort of side. I think it's like a really interesting thing. Cause we don't really have too many of that in this season, you know, when you're talking about adjacent, like we do, uh, we do get the war side and maybe it doesn't have the best of the war that you do get. You get a couple of elements that I always thought were really striking, particularly with, um, uh, Bukim Woodbine with his like fucking cutting the, the guy's head off and just carrying oh it my god bag, the preacher dude yeah what the just fuck yeah really disgusting and uh yeah that actually did happen in the in the story bloods that this this uh film's based <laughs> off of which i'll get into a bit yeah particularly someone did do that and was told to fucking get rid of it and stuff it's really disgusting <laughs> but uh for every reason for hygiene reasons <laughs> for smell reasons everything yeah just horrible I mean, these are humans, like we were saying last week. You know, it's a, it's complicated, but it's just like it's inhumane. Mm. How did you find? How did you find the movie? Did you watch it when you were younger? Then, yeah, like, yeah, I think it, around. Or yeah, did you, like, I must have just it seen it on TV or something. You know, like it was just one of those things. I don't know. It's weird. Like it's hard to describe. I was always like really into films like this and stuff. And like, I mean, I would have been really young, you know, but it was like kind of <laughs> wild west back then. Like you just watching stuff. Like when you're really young, I probably saw this yeah. when I was like under 10 years old, you know, for the first time, just seeing it on TV. And like, it's kind of like a bit full on for someone who's really young. So, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I always really liked Lorenz Tate as well. I remembered him from Minister society I feel like he was in something else that I really liked as well when I was a kid. He's just like really funny and he has a great look. And, you know, last, uh, sorry, next week we've got like a film where we're talking about people who are like, you know, they're showing these like basically kids in Vietnam. And we had a bit last week as well, which Lawrence Fishburne definitely looked young and stuff. But in this, you know, this film, like I feel like Lorenz Tate sort of like nails the young, like doe eyed, sort of like kid who gets sent to the, to war and just really inexperienced and like not really, you know, knowing what he's getting into thinking that like, this is an opportunity for him to become a man, basically, you know, mm -hmm. make a man out of him. That was sort of the like thing he said to his father when he's having dinner and his mother's like really upset. Cause like, she's like, Oh, I'm going to be the first, you know, person in my family or whatever to have two kids to go to college or whatever. And that's like, you know, that was important for her. And he's just like, oh, I'm joining. Yeah. Movies, I don't want to go to you know? college. And it's, yeah. And it's just like, really just like, geez, man. And he, you know, he, he gets sent there thinking it's going to be this great thing and he's there and he's actually good while he's there. And he's like good at what he does, but it's like the whole thing is like, he doesn't realize what happened to him over there and the things he saw and the things that happened 
um, that we actually don't even really get the full grasp on because in the grand scheme of thing, the section of Vietnam is really short in this film. Mm, but it's nice because it's like a, it's very much turning point because the first bit it's very lighthearted. Yeah, it's very fun. Him and his friend hanging out and yeah. cracking joke and you know him running around trying to get late. Um, and then that thick cut him running over the fence. And, yeah, 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 running yeah. Running into the jungle with the like, um, like a uh, radio voice and stuff, and then like, yeah. <laughs> and then it feels like a fucking whiplash, which it would if you're a kid from the Bronx mm. in the sixties, yeah. and you're suddenly in the middle of a really fucked up war. It's like a huge whiplash, and then it's just sort of a descent into that. Like even him coming back, he's like trying to get his old life back and realizing things are changing and like what what he there fighting for, and he trying to yeah raise the family, but. He, Khan and it, the, he played a really interesting that character is really interesting because he starts off like very much not like everybody else like tr- obviously looking for some sort of deeper meaning and purpose in life and thinking it he'll find it in the war but it's only sort of traumatized from it and he won't even yeah. deal with it nobody will deal with it like Skip is obviously clearly traumatized but he is a lot like that, that great nightmare sequence where um, in his bedroom and when he like wake them up from it. Um, but and it's just like flashes. It's like a really terrifying montage. It's like, you know, him cutting the meat and like the head being blown up. And like, just, it's really, it really felt like it had so many powerful moments like that. But yeah, that bit, it, it, it's a very short bit in the film, but yeah. it like looms over the rest of it. Like the whole, him getting into like, what essentially like the black liberation movement. It's obviously very much born out of sending black soldiers over there to die for a war that's not there. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, why should we when we're not being taken care of over here? Yeah. That sort of thing. That's the big thing about this, uh, this like, story in just general. Like, uh, I guess, you know, to be honest, I, I don't have a lot about, like, the film itself because it is one of these films that is, like, really, uh, un- like, you know, it's under report, like an underreported film. No one, like, talks about it's one of those films that you can't really go and like search and find a lot of information on so i was like finding a little bits and pieces here and there like through like old like interviews and stuff or or like um press release sort of information like around the time when the film was sort of released so it was like kind of not really like the best of stuff out there for it but what i was able to piece together was a little bit more of the true story about like the actual uh person's that the uh, story is about, which was a little bit more interesting to kind of get into the background of. Um, Mm -hmm. So like it's the second feature from the twin filmmaking brothers, the Hughes brothers who made a name for themselves with the 1993 LA crime drama menace to society, which if you've not seen that, it's really awesome. And I think criterion did a release of it recently. And it's like, you know, why not? It's a classic pick it up. It's a really good Lorenz Tate. Isn't the, main star but he is in it uh, much like he's in this uh oh yeah and also like you know if you've never seen this film go check it out like dead presidents is like a pretty fun watch oh it's a great watch um it's on disney plus so if you got disney plus just go check it out um but yeah they developed this film alongside uh the writer michael henry brown and it's based on the life of black uh, vietnam veteran ari sezu meritazo which is he's formerly known as hayward kirkland uh, whose story is detailed in the book Bloods, an oral history of the Vietnam War by black veterans uh, by Wallace Terry. So Wallace Terry like wrote this book like 
back in the day. And it's like something that he, he basically, Wallace Terry was like this field reporter. Um, he worked for, I believe time magazine and stuff. And he went, he went over to Vietnam and he was like reporting on all these things. And he was pretty high up in, in, uh, time and stuff. And like, he was, uh, working on all these stories about like black soldiers there. Cause the base, base, basically like the big thing was like a lot of people didn't really know, you know, the, the black soldiers were kind of, they were like basically the only people who were dying over there. It was like, you know, <laughs> most of the soldiers were mm-hmm. just like, you know, who were dying in the greater amount of numbers were black soldiers. Like they were just kind of like the front line and they were always yeah. doing the worst jobs to do. Like they were things. like, they were more likely, fodder. yeah, more mm. likely to get you killed. Like these sort of things, like uh, dealing with like bombs, uh, running, like basically they had a lot of guys who would go out and like run ahead to, you know, either kind of check stuff know, out, check stuff out or to like be a, a decoy or something. I mean, it's kind of like fucked up jobs that a lot of the black soldiers were given. So yeah, it's really interesting like to read his book because the book itself, it's not like a normal um, book that tells a story in a, any certain way. It's one of these books that you can like just kind of dip in and out of. Uh, I haven't finished reading the entire thing, but I've, I did get a copy of it last year when I was uh, getting into all these like war films and stuff. And I just happened to have it. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to read it. And then it just kind of made it like interesting to do this uh, film because it is based particularly on one person. Like I said, it's uh, Ari Sezu uh, Meritazo, who is Hayward Kirkland. And in six, 1969, he was still going by Kirkland at the time. He was fresh out of Nam after pretending to be crazy to get an honorable discharge from the army, he found himself struggling to adjust his civilian life. And like many of the black veterans, he would return home as a second-class citizen. He had little options for jobs and support from the government. Uh, he was only offered like a couple of different things like on a, from the government of like what he could do like work-wise when he uh, ended up moving to Washington, D.C. And that was either to work with the police or the post office. And he was just like, sick of the military basically he just didn't want to be a part of the military anymore so like the police felt too like too much like the military so he took up the post office gig and he basically worked there until he got sick of it because he also just felt like it was really regimented and it felt like the military so he used to hang out this place called africa hut in dc where he would talk politics and eventually got the idea to pull off the biggest heist that the town had ever seen i don't know it's one of these things I feel like this story is like these stories haven't really even still like, you know, like I think Dead Presidents is a like a fun movie, an interesting movie. I love I love like a war, like a war film anyway. We're doing this whole season. But then also I love a heist movie. That great to see the two. Next. And like you said, it is like sort of lacking like in the grand scheme of thing. But it looks cool. Mm. Like the song about it. It's like and those scenes are shot really cool. It's just like it happens yeah. really fast. I feel like this film could yeah. actually I just wish use more of it. Yeah, if yeah. like even though it's two hours, I feel like it could use maybe thirty extra minutes just to like breathe a little bit to like sort of mm-hmm. get more into the planning stages of this heist and stuff because it really just like happens. Um, and I feel like there's more story to tell, uh, but there's the thing that you don't really get a lot of is like um, in a lot of these films is like the whole political awakening in Vietnam because you know, lots of black soldiers were there talking about race relations. We, we see that he picks up a card off of like one of the soldiers that basically like, you know, I love like, that bit. Yeah. yeah. Black man like, go home, black man go home. And I was sort of making reference to that last week, you know, like GI go home, go yeah. home GI. 
And I was saying, like, we're going to get that a little bit. And I feel like the Five Bloods had, like, little elements of that as well. There was, I remember Chadwick Boseman's character when they had those flashback scenes was, like, you know, basically talking about, you know, the revolution of black uh, men, you know, and this wasn't their war and stuff and they shouldn't be there. And you hear it every so often, like, in different films here and there. But it's, like, I feel like if you really want it to, like, make, like, a really big you know, version of this film. I feel like you need to like maybe take like other films like and just weave them in and out. Like for instance, you could mm-hmm. really make a good story about Bloods, you know, like which is this is based off of. And also um, you know, Spike Lee for Defy Bloods. He didn't really base that film off of anything in particular in the story. It was just many like, you know, stories that are told. So like I was saying like this this uh, book that Wallace Terry wrote, it's like chapters of different, you know, like 20 different um, black soldiers and their stories of like, you know, when they went into the war, what happened while they were in the war. And then like what mm-hmm. happened kind of after. And some people, you know, had kind of like, you know, okay times in the war. And it was like, you know, relatively okay on the flip side. And then some were like, saw the worst, most horrible shit. I mean, to be honest, most of the stories I've read so far, are all really disgusting, like <laughs> things that they saw people doing over there. I like, bet. you know, white soldiers just like raping women and shit and just mm. really disgusting things. Like, um, you know, and it's the way they write about it, it feels like, well, it's not even like, I guess he, I'm trying to think, I guess he transposed tapes that he, like, of interviews that he did. So it really feels like it's coming from these people's voices more so mm. than like him just reiterating what they had said. And it's like really interesting because like sometimes it feels like they're speaking about these things. So matter of factly, it's like really like it's that's like one of the more depressing and disturbing parts of the book. Yeah. That isn't just a reality. That was the reality. So I I, I was what I was saying is like, I feel like you could take like dead presidents and you could take elements to like defy bloods and then maybe like even, you know, Spike Lee's um, black clansmen or whatever it could be an interesting like yeah. elements you can build in because that had a lot of cool things i feel like that and the five bloods kind of like really work together of like this kind back of uh, similar sort of arcs of stories that they're telling of a similar time period of like black revolution in america and stuff but anyway like uh he, you know he he started getting his political awakening in vietnam uh kirkland and lots of black soldiers there over there talking about race relations and just as he was about to get out he heard about Dr. Martin Luther King being assassinated. And as he returned home, he was met with like a rude reception from both black people and white people, basically telling him he was crazy for going over there in the first place. And at the post office, Kirkland had learned about the worn out money that was brought back from army bases in Europe to be destroyed. So he devised a plan for the robbery. And with the community totally underdeveloped, Kirkland thought that, you know, with some resources, they could actually do some things that they thought were right to do, like basically set up like community medical centers and things of that nature. So it was a lot of his ideas was like a very Robin Hood esque, you know, sort of mm-hmm. mentality, like give back to his uh, neighborhood. And early one December morning in 1969, Kirkland and two accomplices, all with uh, painted white faces or maybe like ashed up faces, and one of them was dressed as a postal worker, accosted the driver of a mail truck and. Uh, that was standing on a loaded dock of the federal home loan bank 
board on Indiana Avenue in Washington, D.C., and then apparently it was literally right across the road from a police station. So I guess that's where the story oh, of like my God. The, yeah, cop the cop showing up in the film. Um, God. Yeah, yeah. So they forced the driver into the rear of the truck and the men asked him where the money was. He pointed to the bag and inside was $382,000 of a worn out currency. It was en route to the Treasury Department where it was supposed to be destroyed. And the men were armed, but they told the driver that they weren't going to hurt him. And one of the robbers said that the money was for needy black kids. And he instructed the driver to tell the police that the robbers were white. And then he reconsidered and told the driver to say, some brothers robbed me. And they all look, this, they all look alike. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> weird. And then... Yeah. Like in the film, they did use the money to buy clothes and food and toys for the locals in the neighborhood. Um, but one of them ended up flashing the cash and giving bills out to random people in the street. Yeah, yeah. just like Goodfellas, buying that yeah, fucking basic car. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people compare this film to Goodfellas at times because it has a heist vibe to it. Like in you know people flashing the cash and stuff and kind of getting themselves in trouble because of it. Then, you know, this guy started opening up numerous bank accounts and he dropped about 10 to 20 grand in each of them around the country and eventually got caught up by the FBI, you know, because they, you know, they were like, this is raising alarms, all this money and stuff going to all these bank accounts. And when they called him, they basically managed to get everything out of him. And then weeks later, someone managed to convince Kirkland to give them some money and it was a part of an FBI sting. Oh, fuck. That's entrapment, <laughs> man. <laughs> so despite not hurting the truck drivers, Kirkland was sentenced to up to 30 years in prison on federal, federal and uh, charges in Washington, D.C. itself. Uh, and once in jail, he became a prisoner's advocate specializing in the problems of incarcerated veterans. A quarter of the inmates had been in Vietnam, and most of them were black veterans. And Kirkland adopted the name Ari Sezu uh, Meritazan in prison, meaning guardian servant chosen to do the will of the creator in ancient <laughs> Egyptian dialect. And he took courses at Antioch Law School and appealed his conviction and uh, taught others how to work the system. And the, the judge uh, reduced his sentence based on his efforts to help fellow inmates. And he got it out in 1975 after serving just five and a half years. Oh, sick. that's great. Once he was released, he continued to run an, an organization that he started in prison, the Incarcerated Veterans Assistance Organization, out of the basement of his house. And eventually he went to work at the Veterans Administration in Arkansas, and he earned his master's degree in economic development. He became a teacher, and then he also got involved in ministry. So, yeah, he had a really big impact. That's a hell of a culture. life. But, yeah. like, that guy found amazing. Like, I want a movie about that guy. Yeah. With, like, you know, like, <laughs> Curtis isn't like that at all. He falls into these things. He's not particularly interested in anything Yeah. until he has nothing else, really. And even then, it, it, again, maybe it's kind of just rushed for my liking, but, like, yeah, the idea, like, and there is that in the movie, in Breath, Dead President, like you said, that him sort of starting to question things in Vietnam, and then when he's out, you know, struggling and having very limited options and a community sort of dying around him, and he gets pushed into crime. But it's never, he's not like a um, big political figure. He's not like a Fred Hampton type, like the yeah. real guy was, and maybe that would make it a little more... I know stronger throughout because that's interesting. That's a fucking crazy life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
I, th- I think like um, he basically, it's, you know, obviously he had seen the the film when it came out and stuff and uh, knew that his story was going to be used, obviously, because it was used in Wallace Terry's book. And he I think he was largely like help, like a big part of helping Terry get the book finally, you know, finished and everything, because like he struggled. He had a really hard time getting mm-hmm. bloods off off like, you know, off the ground and everything. And um, like the publishers like rejected his like treatments like 120 times. And eventually it was finally Jeez. published by like Random House and it was met with rave reviews. And once that happened, it became a bestseller. Ho- Hollywood came calling and they just like, you know, really wanted to do something with it. But like he didn't want to sell it. So it was a lot of work. You know, he was in the 60s in Vietnam doing this, you know, taking these <laughs> stories and stuff and reporting on these stories and gathering all these stories. And then by the time like he wrote this, this was like in the 80s, like, you know, got the book done. But like he basically years later would go and meet up with all these people he met years, you know, years ago in Vietnam and, you know, got them to like tell them, tell him their stories. And it took a long time to do this and it took a long time for it to finally get published. And like, I think some of the publishers wanted them like wanted to Wallace Terry to like, um, basically change the, like the story. So it had like a narrative, like almost like a history of black soldiers in Vietnam thing. And he was like, nah, I just wanted to like, I want to tell their stories. I want them to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted, if there was going to be like a film, he wanted to produce it and like have a big part of it. And he eventually partnered up, partnered uh, partner, I can't speak. Partnered, um, <laughs> partnered up with uh, Quincy Jones, and uh, they he decided to develop a one man show based on Bloods and performed it at like 250 colleges and museums across the country. But like in that time, there was like no progress on the actual film itself, so mm-hmm. it took a long time. Um, and that's when eventually the Hughes brothers came into the picture, and they they were basically only inter- interested in the one chapter in the book and that was Meritazan's story um Wallace Terry said that that wasn't going to hurt my project my vision was entirely different from what they were going to do and since they were going to write me a check larger than anything I'd ever seen in my life and it was 10 times larger than the advance I received for Bloods it was hallelujah time interestingly though the film also incorporated elements of the 1981 armored car robbery which uh or brinks armor car car robbery which was carried out by several members of the black liberation army and four former members of the weather underground which collectively they were known as uh the family um which was allegedly led by matulu shakur um so if you think that sounds familiar that's because that was the stepfather of tupac shakur oh and that's where the holy shit came from yeah so i did not know that yeah that's that's cool. And you can see them taking part of both stories because it feels like it just becomes that story halfway yeah. through. Yeah, it's more violent, like in in the terms of like like the actual story itself. You know, they didn't they didn't kill anyone. You know, there wasn't like exactly. any actual violence done towards the uh, guys Rising. in the mail truck. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like maybe that's where. The Hughes that's brothers. Not thought, like, enough. It's not a yeah. It's not as exciting. You know, we want something that's very gritty and just kind of like will stir you a little bit and like you know, incorporating. I think the Brinks armor car robbery really like you know, that story is like a little bit more gritty and um, maybe it just 
kind of like plays more into the story of like how deep and far these characters have gone, you know, like if they were, you know, resorting to this because, yeah, I mean, like you could have kind of gone the the normal route of like the actual story, like, you know, and you could have still told the story. And like, to be honest, it could have been a great redemption arc story. Um, I think if you're doing that, like, yeah. Meritazan uh, had said after he, he saw the film, you know, I feel like this is like, you know, this is like only the beginning of the story. That's and, what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, you know, my, my story is like the sequel, like what I've done. And I think he like did, he did find like God and stuff really like, I, I guess like even more. So like I said, he got into ministry. I think apparently he got, he was in a car accident where he got hit by an 18 wheeler, you know, and <sighs> nearly died. He was in a coma for like five days had lost his memory for like 35 days or something like that. And then when he finally came out, it like, you know, it took a bit and he said like, you know, that was like, like a near God experience, you know? (laughs) So he found God and, uh, Mm. really got into ministry and stuff, but whatever. I mean, he's doing like really good stuff for people especially veterans Mm. and stuff when they didn't have anything. And that's more like, that's why it's important. These stories and stuff. Cause like this more than like what, you know, the government was doing for these people, the people who were like, like I said, largely the people who were on the front lines who were getting mm. killed the most. Um, yeah, because that's the story of dead presidents. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's not this redemptive thing of this guy who learned how to help his community. It's about these guys being screwed over by the system and pushed to their limit when you show uh, what they have to resort to and that yeah. tragedy of it, watching these people fall. Um, but you don't blame them, really. I mean, like, you know, by the end, you kind of understand how they get there, even if they do despicable things along the way that yeah. start, you know, forces you to start questioning how you see all of them, especially Curtis, the way he starts treating his wife and shit. It's just like, yeah, yeah. It's abhorrent. And then it's just like, yeah, it turns into a really violent situation. And it's like, Again, it was the thing from Apocalypse Now where it's like what Kurt should have learned is not to kill and violence is not the way. Yeah, um, yeah. But he goes the opposite. And same thing here, but they're put in a situation where they can't do that. They have to resort to violence in order to live, in order to put food on the table. That's the only option left given to them by the government who sent them out there in the first place. They're yeah. just... It goes around now. But you're right, that's a good way of putting it. Like this it's a good beginning to that guy's story. And it's a perfectly good entertaining movie in itself. But yeah, it feels like just the start of a bigger epic movie that could be could be made of the blood book and the story yeah. within, I think. Like could this and the Five Blood and Black Lantern for that matter. Or I think all have the same problem with that they have they get in to really interesting themes and they get distracted by something else. And it leaves that theme wanting a bit more. If you had a more f- focused sort of exploration of that, I think it could be really effective. Just more stories like that, good or bad. Yeah. Like again, yeah. this is a rare war movie to see, a rare Vietnam like movie to see. Um, and of course, I could literally, I could only count a few movies that like specifically focused on the black experience within that like um was that one recently the George Lucas one not recently years ago now Red Tails yeah Red Tails yeah and that would that would you know very Hollywood but perfectly good movie as well from what I remember um but yeah 
since then I can't I mean like hidden figures and stuff like that that's not war but yeah I think Spike Lee did more one that was like, like that. A, I can't remember which one it was like what it was called but it wasn't didn't he do one that was sort of like a World War II like in uh, response to Clint Eastwood <laughs> oh really yeah I think that's so that's funny it's like the thing about this film, it's like it's one of these like films, like I said earlier, it's just like it's not the greatest maybe in the grand scheme of like like its ultimate output or whatever. But it's something about it. It's just like I really do like it. Maybe it is because I do like a heist film or something like that. And it's just like I, f- I feel like it is fun. And like, I mean, some of the people in the film are just amazing. Like Lorenz Tate is like so good. He's like really, really good. I think this is like one of really his better good, yeah. performances it's like he's someone that like obviously still like does things. He occasionally will appear in some stuff, but it's like he doesn't have like he didn't really have that career. It's like the most famous mm. person in this film obviously is Chris Tucker, like who is like yeah. a scene stealer. Every scene he's in in this film, he's like really, really good. He's very, yeah. very he's funny. Pimp, man. He's a pimp. Yeah, he's I'm a yeah. pimp, man. <laughs> my grandfather so was like, a pimp. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? My grandfather was a pimp. He used to be like uh, when he was a slave, he was a pimp, and he was yeah. He'd have girls like picking cotton for him. Cotton for him. He didn't have to do shit. (laughs) It's so good, so funny. That's funny. Like just like a really funny role from Chris Tucker. Um, Yeah, like Keith David as Kirby is really funny as well. Oh, oh, I'd love being Keith David. Everybody knows I got one leg, and he took it. (laughs) (laughs) He grabbed the wrong one, dumbass. (laughs) Yeah, and like. Bakeem Woodbine, dude. I love Bakeem Woodbine. And this is like, he's scary in this film. But then he's he, terrifying I love, in this. I love the weird, like, crossover. So, all right. So, the Bakeem Woodbine character, Cleon, um, all these characters are sort of like weird, sort of versions of, of, uh, of characters that are mentioned in the, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, not everybody, but like, you know, cause I don't think there's really like a Kirby, but there is a, like, a skip type character in the book i can't remember what his name is i don't remember i just read it yesterday i just don't remember what his name is but uh basically he's someone who kirkland character like the real the real person kirkland had known from home i feel like he used to date his like his this this guy's like wife or something Mm. when he was younger so they knew each other they grew up in the same area and when they were over there they got really close and tight and while they were on a mission once like he he basically was like you know this guy was like so brave you know and he would just do whatever like you know anything that was asked of him he was he was cool to go out there he said like you know there were certain characters like for instance there was like um the guy who was like you know their like their lieutenant they yeah, the like squad a, leader, the white yeah, guy. The squad leader, the white guy. Mm-hmm. They had a guy that was like that in the book, who mm-hmm. was a bit more of a, um, a, I don't know, it was something about him that was it wasn't like bravery. It was just like this sort of like, you know, it was just full of himself sort of thing. And mm-hmm. he would kind of do all this stuff. But he described, you know, his friend who Skip is based on as like this guy who just had bravery. And it's like he would just do this stuff. And it wasn't, it didn't feel like he was trying you know, to impress people or prove anything. anything. Yeah. It was just like, he was just that and he would do all this stuff. And then one day it just snapped and like, he, it just got to him and he was never the same after that. And it was like, Mm. you know, that's where the whole like Chris Tucker, like, you know, he's, it's really sad when, you know, Anthony comes. 
when he first comes home, to see him, and he yeah. sees him and he's just like out of it, like I guess on heroin shaking. or something, just shaking. Yeah. Just he like, doesn't even know. like acknowledge him at first. Yeah. No, nah, th- that's something I appreciate that they show. I would appreciate them showing because there's a danger of like, you know, <laughs> like in 300, you know, where it's all about you're doing a war movie and it's just bullshit, machismo, bravado, and that part of it. But, you know, the whole point, like the, the scariest thing that war seems to do to men is to make them vulnerable. Yeah. Um, which is something you're not allowed to be as a man. That's a sweeping statement. Something we you weren't allowed to be for a long time and still in mainstream circumstances are not encouraged to do. And so I appreciate the war films that just show like men just freaking out, just being mm. frozen in fear, completely shell shocked, crying like unbelievably inconsolable, like just. Because they just look like the guy dying, like when you first hit Vietnam and Curtis is like with him and he's, you know, barking for his mom, which is very classic Vietnam, classic war movie. But the look on this guy's face, he's like looking around terrified, like almost like, how the fuck did I get here? Where am I? Those moments I appreciate Chris Tucker, yeah, just fucking hitting the ground behind the trench and like screaming, like not able to come out. And it reminded me of like David Private Ryan did that a lot. With the guy on the stairs and even Matt Damon like freaking out. I know it's funny because it led into a very similar scene with Curtis and I don't know his name, the guy from the yeah. Soprano. Michael Imperioli. Yeah. Thank you. He's fucking his brilliant. Um, yeah. I, w- I wish he had a bigger role in this, but yeah. um, you know, with the morphine. And like yeah. same thing with Giovanni Rabisni in the. In, I did in say the that there was going to be like, I felt like I mentioned that in Saber Private Ryan, there's going to be a I think morphine. You did. Like There's another more morphine. Film. Here it There's is. More morphine. Yeah. That that's a really like yeah. Anyway, his snack time. Like, yeah. Speaking of morphine. I, to be honest, I was gonna like um originally call a ration time on Michael Imperioli because I was gonna get like some tin can, but I found something else inside my ration box. So ration time. <laughs> It's Russian time. 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 Russian time. Yeah, it's tell me, tell me you're gonna put hot sauce and whatever. Because when you do now, it's like that's a great i did that gives taste to everything yeah, i was I about to actually, everything dude sorry if if, if i pulled that cut it no 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 i was about to get like a can of like i don't know like tuna or something and put some hot sauce in it but um i found something in my ration box it was actually you know vietnam the rations are all like sort of ready-made sort of things you know it's yeah, like yeah. It's supposed to be light and easy to sort of carry and stuff and i found something kind of interesting and it, it's amazing it like works so well with with uh, this film because like he gets arrested, you know, he gets Mm. arrested. And what happens when you get arrested? What's one of the things that happens when they take you to the police station? They, they read you your Miranda, right? And then what happens? You get processed. You get your picture taken. You get, what's that called when you get your picture taken? De-loused. No, it's called a mugshot. I got a mugshot. Oh, motherfucker. Mugshot. I got a mugshot here. That's perfect. Um, yeah, so I've got a mug I don't here. I remember what a mugshot was called. 
It's a really old mug. I've probably had this since I was like a little kid. Um, and I somehow just took it with me from the States here. I don't know why. It's Food Lion. It's where I used to work when I was a, when I was younger. Um, grocery it's hard store. to find a good mug, man. Yeah. Um, all right. So with the mug shot, it's, this is a pasta and creamy cheese. <laughs> I like to think that, you know, Anthony's sitting there having one Peter of these mug shots, thinking about his mother's cooking and how he's going to like eat the shit out of that, that food when he gets home. Oh my God. That would, that would be a good thing as well. Like that, I think it's why I would be like when Curtis comes back and he's not even talking to his parent, he's just eating. Yeah. Cause my God, like when was the last time he had like a proper meal? Yeah. That's all you would do. He's like just broken by that point, you know? Yeah. He's like, right, don't so talk about it. I'm going to need to wait for this to like, you know. Yeah. I'm going to pee and get my snack. So. Cool. All right. <laughs> Let it roll. Let it roll. Is the mugshot ready? It's not ready yet, so... Um, should I go? Yeah, maybe you should go first, because I'm going to have to wait for this thing to, to stew. So, um, I mean, forgive me, because I was in a rush. And, you know, you know, maybe I didn't get a uh, snack specific for the movie. Maybe I'm just using stuff in the house again. But, <laughs> talk, speaking of saving Private Ryan... Do you remember the snack I had for that one? Uh, did you have a Coke? No, I had a... Um, because Tom Hanks was from Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, so the pretzels. The Penn yeah. State pretzels. So I have the same thing, but <laughs> roasted yeah, the chili flavor. Roasted chili flavor? I've never roasted seen that chili. before. This wow. is um, new as far as I know. Um, Nice. Like, yeah, look. New. The new. The new. The new movie. The new. Yeah. It's the new snack time. <laughs> um, they just started doing a co-op and Dusty got me some. And there we go. Here we go again. You know, I liked it so much that they gave me more in my ration. They're nice to me out here. You know, I don't mind being in the room. <laughs> yeah, you're still lucky somehow. Oh, oh, oh! These are surprisingly like spicy. They really spicy. sneak up on you. <laughs> mm. They, mm, they're good, but that's the thing. That's the um, kicker. It's that like you think, ah, oh, this is cool. This is like the other one. It got that thing of like you take a bite and all the flavor comes off the pretzel immediately. Yeah. And then you're just eating like a sort of dry pretzel and it turns into like a mush. But I like that. But the aftertaste is like like a stiff kick in the throat. Um, <laughs> it's good though. It's not good. I still go for the sour cream and onion over this one. Mm-hmm. So I have to remember what I gave that one. Probably a five. Yeah, I think it was. Um, How many... Oh. Shots with the pool cue to the back. Are you giving Cowboy Terrence Howard? Oh my god! 
Terrence Howard. Another young, cowboy. Young Terrence Howard. Cowboy. Young. Yeah. Go crazy, Terrence Howard. Yeah. Um, three? You're only going to hit him three times? Okay. Yeah, three is enough. Mm-hmm. Three is good. Yeah. I'll eat them. Obviously, I'll eat them. Not fucking crazy, but I prefer the other one. That's good. Um, I think I'm just going to have to go with this. Uh, it looks disgusting. But hey, what's new? Go for that mugshot. The smell is pretty horrible as well. It's um, it's that very like powder cheese smell, you know. It smells almost like you know, just really old, stale cheese and onion sort of crisp. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to just like drink it. <laughs> and it's like slightly chewy, slightly chewy. Um. Like almost slightly crunchy uh, pasta noodles. <laughs> those <laughs> things are always weird. Like, you know, yeah, those like ready-made things. I'm always like, do I eat this? Do I drink it? Like the like I love the soup in the sachet. Yeah. But depending on how much water you put on it, it's either a drink or it's fucking soup. Yeah, this is this is totally a drink. I mean, like with noodles and it's fucking gross. I feel like it's gonna. Like, <laughs> Make me poo myself later. <laughs> oh, and that happened a lot in Vietnam. You know, that's something you they never talk about. Never talk about it. You hear hey, about that I'm, sort of stuff in the book, you know? People are just shitting themselves. Oh, the flavor is just ew. I'm never Does gonna have taste a good, like a, no, a no, good snack over here. Even when mm. you think you're going to, yeah. that's like two in a row where you were like actually trying to. Yeah. Give yourself something decent. Well, I didn't know if this... I didn't really anticipate this being decent, but... I figured it was. Like, Deadshot is... Deadshot. Fucking Mugshot is pretty well-known. I just don't like that, like, cheese... Like, mm. cheese flavor. It's weird, because I like cheese, but this doesn't taste like cheese. It tastes like... I don't know. It's that sort of sour... It's like... <laughs> it's like someone took sour cream... Like mm. potato chips or something like that, and stuck yeah. it inside of a glass of milk. That's not amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we should swap. I think you would like these. How many um, fake oh. fake legs do you give it? Um, just yeah, just one. It's it's just just it's one, just and curvy. it's the wrong one. It's the wrong one. Yeah, it's the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll quickly go through some of these other people I think are kind of fun. I mean, we've got Freddie Rodriguez as Jose or Joe. I feel like he was in some stuff like uh, Planet Terror. Was he not in Planet Terror? He was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting character from that period of time. You know, you just don't really see him a lot, but he's pretty funny in this film. A bit of a crazy wild card kind of character. He's great. Yeah. Although he had that, again, he had that line where he's like, he comes back. Again, Curtis comes back and he's hanging out in Kirby's bar and he got leave early because he fucked up his hand. But he's like, but they taught me everything I need to know about explosives. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Telegraph that, <laughs> I'm, eh? Yeah, like, fucking hell. Foreshadow <laughs> that. I'm guessing they're going to blow something up in this fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> but he's great. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Yeah, Rose Jackson plays Juanita Benson and then Nabushu Wright plays her sister Delilah. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, those scenes like kind of like before and then like, you know, after with those two characters are very interesting as well. You know, again, like, more of that, like two sisters, one become like very much like a traditional housewife yeah. trying to make a like end me and one become a fucking revolutionary. Yeah, that's interesting, you know? Yeah. 
yeah that's that. the thing i feel like that's the part of the film like there's these characters and stuff that like you feel like they don't really get enough room to breathe mm. um you also get the weird sort of story with uh clifton powell who's great as always and like anything he's in is cuddy the sort of like weird pimp oh, character yeah. <laughs> but i feel like they didn't really let that breathe either that doesn't go um, anywhere really yeah Clifton Powell is in, I believe he's a menace to society as well. And he's really awesome in that. Like, he's just really good at playing these sort of roles. I already mentioned that Terrence Howard's in this. is a really young role for Terrence Howard. He's really good. Terrence Howard is always, like, interesting to yeah. watch. He's pretty creepy Even in if this he's film like, as well. He's very creepy. I'm yeah. bit so, like, satisfying. Yeah. To, yeah, what he gets to come up and. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like, I'm not taking his shit anymore. I'm not this little kid. I'm. Yeah, it's like, I'm a fucking marine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, See, like that's the kind of that's the kind of deal with like literally James Brown payback is playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh man, like you have a great soundtrack, but like it's so on the nose. It's like yeah. what it's the it's the <laughs> to be playing there, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh we mentioned Michael Imperioli plays D'Ambrosio, but there's another Sopranos reference or or character from Sopranos besides Bakeem Woodbine because Bakeem Woodbine does play like a character in an episode of Sopranos where I think it has to do with like I don't remember I feel like he's like a a producer like a hip-hop producer or whatever and Tony kind of gets like involved with um but yeah there's another character you blink and you miss him so it's when Chris Tucker is uh Skip he's uh ODing and that's like that's a scary scene as well. To be honest, like mm. the, basically you have that Al Green song playing, um, which is just it's like just a really awesome song. And you know you're sitting there watching the TV, and the cops come in and break in on him, but then they show his eyes, and it's, they're just like white, creamy colored. Oh, like oh, uh. but you blink and you miss him. There's a police officer there. It's uh, the late great Tony Sirico uh, who played um, Paulie. In the Sopranos, who's one Isn't of the it? officers there to arrest him? Yeah. Oh shit! Missed that one. Yeah. Fuck. And That's of different. course, the uh, uncredited person in this film. So there's a lot of like you're, you're mentioning. There's a lot of references to last week's film, like particularly there's that there's shot with the, shot. the helicopter and the in the sun, like and that's very much Apocalypse Now. Well, mm. the person then, who is there to sentence young Anthony when he gets arrested and he's at, he, you know, he tries to use what well, his, his lawyer tries to use. Oh, he's an American hero. He's, you yeah. yeah. I don't want to hear that. There's, I was in world war two. God damn it. To be honest, it was a, a real war. You a tell him, war, Marty, you tell him, you tell him, you tell him, you know, who was really excited about that. You know, fucking, he was so excited. You know, he was watching, you know, you know, he Mr. Douglas. Film. Kirk Douglas you know. watched this film, you know, and he was just like, he's down. You he fucking knows. tell him, Marty, he was a real, that's a real war, a real man's war. <laughs> yeah. So Martin Sheen plays the judge. Of you, tell <laughs> you tell my pussy son. You tell my pussy son, Michael. You tell him. What you like. tell him. He would, he would have gone to Vietnam. He would, if he was going to do any war film, it would have been some pussy ass war, like Vietnam, yeah. you know, that's not a real like war, a real not war. a man's man's war. Like. You don't use that shit as a cop out, Marty. <laughs> a really, a really good uh, Martin Sheen, like you know, just like a, a good, perfect. you know, why not? Absolutely you know? perfect cameo. Yeah, why just not? Like this film cameo. is so showed so much reverence to Apocalypse Now, and then that yeah. he got to come in and do something for them. That yeah, so really cool. cool. But uh, at the same time, I think it's like it's kind of funny that characters like um, 
you know that that's the that's a vibe that like a lot <laughs> of people seem to have you know like oh it was better back then you know yeah. it was better it was better during the world war Two. you know like we've talked about like, that yeah what? <laughs> Like, yeah, going from one to the other, and that's like that's a despicable yeah. way to look at war. That one is right, and one yeah. is wrong. It's all they're all horrific. fucked. Yeah, yeah. And like Vietnam, it was so so unpopular that like, can you imagine? That's that's the important thing about this story. It's like, could you imagine like you're a soldier, and you come home, and every other war before you, and like you know, no no matter your color whatever it doesn't matter like white or black or hispanic or or asian or whatever you fought for your country so you you go and you you you're told that like you know you're going to go become a you know a man that's going to make a man a out fucking of you. hero you're going to be yeah. a hero this is doing your service for your country but you come back and everyone's treating you like a piece of shit for going over there in the first place like you know and a lot of these people were you know drafted first as blood, well man. You know, yeah. so it's not even like they it. chose to go. Like, for instance, Anthony did. He did go. But, you know. But Freddie got well, drafted. Yeah, Freddie got drafted. Um, and also, I guess uh, Skip did as well because Skip, you know, he went to college, but he fell yeah. out of college. And then he ends up getting drafted. So, like, these people, they go over there. They go and fight this horrible war. And then they come back and then they're treated like shit by everyone back home. And then it's compounded by the fact that they're black because like, yeah. or, or in, you know, Joe's case, he's like Hispanic or something. So but he's part of that. Community, yeah, yeah. And he's a part of the community and it's just like, you're, they're treated like less than already. And then they're treated even worse by the fact that there were soldiers over in Vietnam. And it's like, it's really fucked up, man. Like a really fucked up war. Just to compound just, the shit yeah. on top of them. Like yeah. if it wasn't bad enough, you know, and yeah, that's like, I think why it's important to kind of like tell these stories. Cause like, you know, they were just treated even worse. Cause the idea is like every war movie had to think, I just want to go home. But what if home was just as fucking bad, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's what, again, the black man experience in Vietnam was. Yeah. And I think it's important to tell in the movie. Definitely. Just wrapping up here. Uh, this film Again, is another one with like some really good music in it. Um, you already mentioned a couple of things, so you get the payback, and I got the feeling. We're back by... to the '90s golden era of <laughs> yeah. movie soundtracks. I'm sorry, yeah. it, it just it. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, there were two volumes of the soundtrack. Yeah, a it fucking thick it was. Such a big, they were like a really big hit, and uh, yeah, you get. I'm just kind of like took a few from each of the soundtracks. Um, mm. So like. Um, on one you get the payback on the other you got I Got the Feeling by James Brown um, mm. you got Walk On By and then The Look of Love by Isaac Hayes and I think Isaac Hayes helped a lot with like the production of the soundtrack as well um, nice. you get Love Train by the OJs you're Tired of Being Alone by Al Green that's the scene where Chris Tucker's ODing um, and then my favorite song in the film and it's kind of annoyingly kind of like in a quiet scene um, and it's when it's playing in the background when um, they're on a bit of R&R Chris Tucker and um, Lorenz Tate it's when they're in the bar and he's like they pull one out yeah and they're like they're sitting there yeah pouring one out for their fallen comrade and then they also like um, 
are sitting there like you know talking about oh uh, he <laughs> he goes like oh i got a real big one <laughs> you know to the girls <laughs> yeah Jesus um, which is just like jesus yeah but uh it wouldn't be a vietnam movie apparently if there wasn't some of that going on uh jesus Christ, yeah tell me about it <laughs> in the background you get just my imagination running away with me just my imagination running away with me that's my favorite temptation song love it so good eddie kendrick on lead and you get that really sick paul williams like you know shout out like every night (laughs) so good um yeah something i didn't realize i don't know if i said it in the, the five bloods episode but speaking of the temptations i always i like i realized um today when i was like looking at something and i happened to like find something about the five bloods i don't know if i brought this up in the episode or not or if i even noticed but like the the, the five bloods the five bloods were named after the temptations so you had paul eddie david yeah yeah melvin you mentioned that in the last one yeah, yeah. also the the music in this film I always thought was very weird and haunting, and it's done by Danny Elfman, which is pretty cool. So it's kind of like a, a non-Danny Elfman soundtrack in a way, because it doesn't sound like like the busy quirkiness. The fucking Jack Skellington. Yeah. Because like, yeah. he has that style, and it would have been roughly around the time he would have done like Edward Scissorhands just a few years before. Um, you know, as well as, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. So, like, you know, it's like he was in this, like, classic Danny Elfman sort of era. Um, but, like, it's not a very busy, like, crazy, quack, like, you know, quacky score that you hear from him. It's very, like, reserved, but it has some really haunting sort of, like, sounds that are used. Like, it makes it feel scarier, I guess, like, in those, especially those scenes, like, when they're having, like, weird nightmares or in Vietnam and stuff. And, like, you're kind of unsure what's going to happen and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's subtle, but it's it good. It's effective. Uh, Dead Presidents was filmed in 1994 around Brooklyn and Mount Vernon, New York, as well as in Florida for the Vietnam scenes. The film was released in October of 1995, making 24.1 million in the U.S. on a budget of around 10 million dollars. So it wasn't like a big, big hit or anything. Um, it had some pretty mixed reviews from critics, with some of them saying that it was like you know very ambitious, but it was a bit of a letdown as a follow-up to Minister Society. Uh, Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times called the film both expected and surprising, familiar yet somehow different, made with fluid skill and a passion for storytelling. Uh, it's tell of how the Vietnam War and the American society affect a black Marine remains accessible while confounding uh, expectations. Karen James of the New York Times felt that it takes on much more than it can handle. Comparing the film with the Hughes brothers' previous film, uh, James said the Hughes obviously knew the world and generation of menace to society better than that of dead presidents, but that is only the problem. In Menace, they trusted the audience more, immersing them in the violent world the film explained without condoning. So yeah, I, I kind of get where they're coming from when we say something like that. There is something about yeah. this film, like where I don't know, like you said, it, it does. You you did really like sort of like the era of like the sixties and stuff, and you felt like mm-hmm. you know it's like it's nice to be in there and stuff. And I, I get that as well, but like at the same time, I kind of I don't know, but I also th- I feel like um, it's funny. Like I really, really, really like Minister Society, 
but when you I feel like when you compare it to other films of that generation and similar themes like, you know, Boys in the Hood and stuff like that, it feels like kind of not as good. I don't know, like it feels a little less than. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. Perhaps, yeah. I need to rewatch it. I feel like, you know, the Hughes brothers do have like a lot of like interesting ideas and stuff. I think maybe sometimes they get more bogged down with their like stylistic choices than the actual like they get lost maybe in the storytelling. Like, you know, they have like big ideas, but they like don't necessarily like transpire in in the final product of the film, maybe the way they anticipated or whatever. How to execute because like scene to scene, every scene is shot with impeccable skill and really yeah. interestingly in ways that push the narrative and theme forward but I think at the whole piece maybe it lacks in some areas. I still think I think it's great and I remember yeah. Man of Society being fucking great um, yeah. but I haven't seen it since I was a kid I don't know the the review I agree with, there with most is expected but surprising yeah I think yeah, that's yeah, about yeah. right because it, it feels quite traditional you kind of can see the beats coming but then spin on it everything is like yeah, everything is done a bit differently. Maybe just because it's a completely different perspective to a thing we have seen many times. Yeah, the Vietnam um, War is like a story that you, especially by this point, like so many had come out, you know? Yeah. This is a night in Vietnam movie, you know? Yeah. Like they're not, it's like almost, it's past, we're past that point. Like now, they're not really, we, you know, we went through the Gulf War thing, but that was very much during that time and now it's sort of a bit all over the place it felt like world war ii would it thought back in fashion could we literally have nazis again it's good, <laughs> you know yeah. it's good to it's good to go back and remind you that these people are fucking terrible yeah um but yeah vietnam i don't remember the last vietnam movie that came out i feel like that one's been really done and nobody wants to touch it anymore could what could what are you gonna say yeah Defined what could you was say? maybe one of the more recent ones, oh, yeah, the I fight. guess, yeah. <laughs> but even that, like, it's yeah. not most of it. It's, it's like a flashback, yeah. Yeah, it's them going back to Vietnam and looking for treasure. A treasure of the Sierra Madre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is the old guys. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Isn't it? um, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film a mixed two-and-a-half-star review and explained that the directing duo have a sense of camera of actors of the life within the scene, but they are not uh, as sure when it comes to the story and the meaning. And here is a film that feels incomplete as if the last step is into thin air. Scene by scene, you feel its skill, but you leave the theater wondering about the meaning of it all. I think that's pretty fair. I mean, they, Mm. they clearly like know how to make a film look really cool. Like, I feel like you, you kind of mentioned some of those shots and stuff and it's a very like spike. I don't know enough about the Hughes very Spike Lee influenced yeah like I don't know if they're like very influenced by Spike Lee but you would imagine they would be because some of those shots are total Spike Lee shots you know like when he comes out of um, Kirby's place and it's just like you know following him along and he's just floating you know I love a good one man you know me yeah yeah but you know however in 2020 Mark Kermode placed it number two in his countdown of top five uh, underrated films on of all time on his podcast. So that's pretty high. Really? <laughs> yeah. Number well, two. Number one, do you know? I'm not sure. Cause it was like on the podcast itself. And I, t- I'm not going to listen to a Mark Kermode podcast. Like just can't be bothered. Um, yeah. Now kind of Mark Kermode, everybody keep coming to watch Blackbird. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's partly my fault. Not for that like, not that he liked it, but he yeah. like made such a fucking big thing of it. Yeah. Partly my fault because I used I used his uh review in the email because it was funny. I mean his review is funny. It was funny. Yeah. It was funny. I watched it. Yeah. Because people kept referencing it. Yeah. Well, Phil, that's it. Um that's I mean, any closing thoughts? I mean, I think I think, you know, it's worth a watch, Dead President. I think I really like watch it. it. I think if you're classic if you're me. listening to it and you're like me, you probably haven't seen it. Yeah. Go watch it. Yeah. Really, it's worth your time. It's really you have you you haven't seen a film quite like it. Just for that, I think it's worth watching. And it's good. I thought it was yeah. good. I had I think it it met me in part and tried maybe doesn't achieve everything it wants to, but fuck it, it tried. Yeah, yeah. So I don't even give a shit. Like it's there. It's all in there in the movie. I think you're right. If it may be more time to breathe, I w- it would be maybe held a bit higher, but can't underestimate the impact on yeah, culture. So definitely. I think it, that's a rare thing to work. say about a film like that you almost wish it was a bit longer. I've probably only said that like one I want time more. on this podcast. Yeah. Because I feel it like it could have used a little bit more. It's a good film and it's like great performances. Like Lorenz Tate, like it's just a shame he wasn't a bigger star. He's really, really good in this film. Um, Chris Tucker is always amazing and he's like a scene stiller. He's really funny. Um, and also pulls some pretty tragic, you know, moments in this film as well. And Bakeem Woodbine, like, I mean, I love Bakeem Woodbine. You might only be familiar with him, like in more recent years, like he was in, uh, what you call it? Um, Fargo, the TV series. And he's like really good in that. He was um, in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cop. Oh, yeah. The cop. Yeah. He said, who are you going to call? Remember? Remember when they said yeah, the thing yeah. from the old movie? <laughs> he actually said the thing. He said the thing. <laughs> he said um, the thing. I, I particularly love him. Bring in, it full circle. <laughs> in Life, which was like a few years after this uh, with Eddie Dude, Murphy. Dude, we should talk about Life. Yeah, Life is one of my all-time favorite movies. I so love good. Life. Life is so underrated. Yeah. He plays King can't get right and it's also got base he's a baseball player as well so it's great because there's baseball in that it's everything i like that's why i like this film i have a soft place in my heart for this film even though i feel like maybe it doesn't hit it perfectly but i love a heist movie and i think that's really what's enticing about it maybe it doesn't like nail it perfectly and you wish there was a little bit more room given to it it's still pretty fun and it's like you know it's it's a fun watch um well Anyway, next week, we'll move on to a proper heavy we're hitter. We're done with Vietnam. <laughs> no, what? no, we're not. Because we're going to move on to another proper heavy hitter from Vietnam, oh. Phil. And if you remember back from our first episode, I promised that we would add this one to the list. So it's uh, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jackets. The turn of the cube. <laughs> you ready for that? I'm ready to just be beaten with pillowcase. <laughs> That's good. As long as it's got That's soap good. in it, you know. Gotta gotta keep clean. You gotta clean those you know pillowcases somehow, right? Yeah, if anything, they're doing him a favor. Yeah. <laughs> Cleaning him. He looked dirty for sure. Pile? Pile. Pile? Uh all right, yeah. All right, well, um, where they can where can they find you? You can find us at the PCC podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or you can pop us an email podcast at princecharlescinema.com. If you want to be a part of user feedback, hey, that's how you do it. Um, or you can hit us up on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. You can support the podcast 
for just as low as $1 a month, you get bonus episodes. And then if you want to support for a little bit more, get things like the Apocalypse Win Redux version. <laughs> That's over there for $5. You've already heard that. It's worth it. Yeah, You've it's already definitely, heard. definitely worth it. It's a very, I think it's a good episode. Um, I feel like it's hard to even follow it. I, I don't know if because I know or something else is going on with me. I'm not feeling as good about this episode <laughs> for some reason. But that episode, I think there was so much um, hmm. that it, it deflated me for this. Uh, so I apologize at the very We're end still of the tired. episode. Um, but anyway. Good. Keep it low key. You know, Godspeed. Go go over there, Patreon. Phil, are you anywhere with your movie yet? Oh wow, okay. <laughs> There's a nice way to ask that. Yeah. Um Yeah. It yeah. yeah. I mean it's being it's being edited. Cool. Cool, cool. Slowly but surely. I'm nice. some minutes into it and it's gonna be too damn long. Oh, I already know. I already know long. it too long what are you shooting for minutes wise i wanted it to be about 90 minutes yeah. um but i'm at 80 now uh, okay and i'm only I halfway have, through it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I feel, i'm about i've got a, maybe about another half hour footage left okay i think to cut so wow. it'll probably end up being over 100 minutes so that's not too you know bad. you keep talking man something needs to get cut out the podcast <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing I mean, it's okay. Someone become a freak in a cage. Yeah. And then maybe it gets saved. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. If someone becomes a freak in a cage, I won't cut Jonathan out of the movie. How about that? Oh. That's what I meant. Yeah. But why? (laughs) Why? I'm just threatening people. That's horrible. We need that money, man. Yeah. Um, Although we won't get the actual money. Oh, actually, we will because someone. How could does just, Patreon work? The thing, well, that was the thing because I was like, "Oh, Patreon! If 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 they pay for it on Patreon, then like we would use that money to buy freakinacage.com, which is X amount of money. Um, mm, it's not that much money. Oh, it is! It is like literally the amount of money that uh, I've put for Freaked in a Cage, like for Freak in a Cage, like as a Patreon, you know, backer. But okay. The thing is. We don't, because it's coming in via Patreon, we don't necessarily, I guess, need to use it for freakinacage.com. <laughs> Is that illegal? <laughs> that, let us know in the comments. Is that illegal? Seeing that no Just one's double the price. Really do Just it. double it. Yeah. Just yeah. double it, and then we can keep half of it. Yeah. And then it's freakinacage.com, but it just redirects to breadcrumbs collectors. <laughs> It's genius. I'm telling you, it's fucking genius. We just buy freakinacage.co or something, and it's just a lot cheaper. Dot org. <laughs> Dot org. Uh, Dot, like EU. Um, I, I think like being in 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 the shit, it's just like getting to me, man. It's like mm. it's added amounts of just being here in these dark spaces, and these dark places. You know, <sighs> it's tough. And I'm that like, rhymed there. That was neat. That was cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sitting here Pretty like cool. trying to, you know, get myself hyped up to play some music, and I feel like I don't have enough time to like learn these songs I'm supposed to be learning to play bass with this guy that I'm supposed to be starting to do. And then my pal Jeff Haley um, released uh, a new album, like a solo album. He's like a bass player for uh, uh, Wild Nothing, um, which is a really cool band. 
I think I was telling, I don't think I talked about this on the actual podcast. You told me about you, them and then I went off it. and listened to them. They are yeah. good. Um, anyway, he's, he's released his own thing. And I, like, I, I just like was talking to him last night briefly on Instagram, just like messaging back and forth and just like, yeah, I was like, man, I'm trying to get on your level, you know, just playing bass with someone else and then just like do my own thing with my music and stuff. But I'm just like sitting here for ages, just not doing anything with my music. And I just like said, whatever, I'll just send, I sent him my um, album that I'm working on. And he was just like really receptive and just saying it sounded awesome and stuff. And the production sounded really cool and all that. And I was just like, God, I just need to finish it. Just there you go, or maybe man. like just put it out. Who cares? Just let that be out. the encouragement you need. You need that yeah. final push. Uh, I think it's that thing of like you want it to I just like I feel like I'm in a rut over here in Vietnam land <laughs> like in in the war land um, you know like you know wherever you know wherever wherever I'm at wherever um, we are yeah and uh, yeah it's like you want it to feel like you're doing something that's like it's like gonna change your trajectory or whatever of like maybe I'm afraid to put it up because I feel like it's just nothing's going to happen and it's just going to be more of the same. <laughs> but if it's like hiding there... Dude, you don't have to explain that to me. Yeah. But if it's hiding there like behind a, a you know, a, a, a SoundCloud like private link, then like it's not... It's like it's like D in the scratch card and Always Sunny. Like if she doesn't scratch it, she still has a chance, you know? That's to win. I, I think that's the most relatable thing you've ever said on the podcast. Cool. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> this podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery Main, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, Head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.